0: Well, last week, I promised you some drama out of the book of Genesis, and I'd rate last week's drama at about a two on a five scale. It gets us started, makes us a little interested in what's happening. But this week, the drama is amped up, maybe closer to a four or five even. Here we have a wife, a concubine or a slave girl, two sons, and a promised inheritance from God. We have jealousy and a distressed husband. What shall he do? It's all just so interesting and fascinating. I mean, what is going on here? How did Sarah and Abraham find themselves in this situation? God has given them all that they need. They have absolute assurance that God is keeping the covenant that God made with them. There's this emotional intensity to today's story that really matters. Something important is about to happen. And before I say anything else, we must face the reality of slavery. Christianity has a history of misusing scripture, especially to benefit those in power, including slave owners. Today's story is an honest portrayal of the realities and the atrocities of slavery. Sarah, so bent on protecting her son, demands the oppression of Ishmael. Now, the narrator is kind to Abraham, implying his distress at his wife's demand. And let us not forget that Abraham has the most power. This is a patriarchal society that this family resides in. At the end of the day, it is Abraham who will decide what happens to Hagar, Ishmael, Sarah, and himself. All his household. They are his household. The story does its best to convey some level of compassion and kindness. Abraham gives them some bread and water. But the honest truth is that Sarah and Abraham oppress Hagar and Ishmael. Their actions are antithetical to the mercy and grace that they themselves have received from God. It is true. The ancestors of our faith misused their power. Why? What motivates Abraham and Sarah? From the very Beginning of the story, if we go back and read the whole thing, we see that they are trying their best to help out God. If we go back to the beginning of Hagar's story, which is Genesis chapter 15, we hear how the covenant is made between God and Abraham. It is an elaborate story, cinematic, with sacrifices and dreams and visions. And the very next thing that happens after God makes this covenant real with the sacrifice, is that Sarah gives Abraham her slave girl, Hagar, in order to have a child. Sarah is so desperate to fulfill the covenant of God that she cannot wait. She makes things happen. Of course, this is how they end up where they are today. Two sons, two descendants, as far as they can see, one promise, one inheritance. And yet somehow Abraham and Sarah are still convinced that the covenant depends on them. May I gently remind you of the four covenants that we found in Scripture? We have the one following the great flood where God places a bow in the sky, making a covenant to bless and affirm creation. We have Moses after the Exodus, climbing Mount Sinai to receive the law, a covenant to lead the people of Israel all their days. We have the ministry of Christ, where God makes a covenant to redeem all of creation. And of course, This covenant with Abraham, God claims Abraham, and Abraham claims God. Now, we may imagine that these covenants are partnerships. They are not. The human condition means that we are constantly failing to keep our end of the covenant Creation is as full of careless and despicable people after the flood as before the flood. And we struggle mightily to follow those Ten Commandments. If the covenants of God depended on creation, where would our hope be? Not in us. God makes the covenant with us. And we may struggle to keep our commitments. And God always redeems us. Now I wonder, I wonder how different our lives would be if we, if I, how different my life would be if I depended so wholeheartedly, trusted with my whole life, these covenants If we put our whole trust in God's law, would we need any other law? If we put our whole trust in that beautiful rainbow, would we ever doubt God's love for us? Will we give up our every desire to follow Jesus? As I read these stories this week, I became just stunned by the contrast between Abraham and Sarah and God. Abraham and Sarah consistently abuse Hagar and Ishmael, sending them into the desert twice. God cares for Hagar and Ishmael, meeting them in the desert and caring for them. Abraham and Sarah seek to control the covenant and their circumstance. And God brings the covenant to life with compassion and love. Abraham and Sarah's vision is limited, God's vision is unlimited. And here's where it really all got me this week. You see, I don't identify with Hagar and Ishmael in this story. I have never been purchased in order to serve a man and his wife. I have never been thrown out of my home because I was perceived as a threat. And I I work really hard to be very clear that I am not God. And studying this story, I realized how much I am like Abraham and Sarah. How often do I try to control What is not mine to control? When does my entitlement drive me to hoard resources and act selfishly or with jealousy? How does my limited vision make me complicit in oppression? I want you to trust me for a moment and turn with your preacher to the gospel. Jesus is teaching his disciples, and he empowers and encourages them. And I am so interested in the link between this teaching and Abraham and Sarah. At the beginning of chapter 10, Jesus summons the disciples to him. And the gospel tells us that he's sending them out. But if you go back and read that chapter, they actually never go anywhere. So it seems to me that this teaching is really for all of us who read this gospel, who hear it. Jesus is teaching us, describing for us about the life of a disciple, an apostle, a very word whose meaning is the one who is sent. Jesus is telling us what it looks like to be sent out in the name of Jesus. Now there's a lot here in chapter 10. And last week you heard, we heard a lot of hard words about discipleship, like no money, no extra clothes, basically just what you have on your own body. To trust fully that God will give us all we need. Shake my head, some hard stuff. And today's gospel, Jesus focuses on presence. He encourages the disciples to remain calm and discerning in every circumstance. He reminds them that God is God and they are not. And that they have a responsibility. That we have a responsibility to embody his ministry, his presence in our ministry. And this is more than actions like curing the sick, feeding the hungry that ministry in Christ's name, discipleship, is also putting our whole trust in God's love for all of creation. You see, we can be like Sarah and Abraham, using human ways to bring about the covenant that God made with us. And this way of life focuses on control and entitlement in our desires and our ability. But Christ sets before us an invitation to love and trust, to love and trust God the most, to be driven by God's mercy, compassion, and peace. Let us center Hagar and Ishmael. In Genesis, they are God's children, beloved and chosen by God. And God acts in the midst of their abuse and oppression, delivering them into the fullness of life. They trust God, and God acts. Because you see, God is always always, always working to redeem us. And we can join God in this work. And for us, this means aligning with Christ, his mission and ministry. Jesus incarnates God's life in the world. It is a very big mystery. And through God, through Jesus, we have a way. To come so close to God. For God is so close to us. Today, he empowers and encourages us to trust his way, God's way, more than any other. We must not limit our vision of the kingdom. Let us Open our eyes to see God at work in every circumstance, every neighbor, every person and place. We must decenter ourselves from our lives. Instead, let us center Christ as our leader, our teacher. And this way, with Christ at the center. As our teacher and our leader, we will partner with him to enact the kingdom of God. Indeed, may we be so bound to Christ that we can live no other way.